is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Twilight Highlight Zone. I'm your host, Jeff Cork, joined today, as always, by my handsome co-host, Ben. I gotta be sure I'm enunciating this correctly. Hansen. It's <laughs> just a play on words. That's true. Uh, we've been down here a lot. We've done this thing a lot. We have. It's great. I think this might be the best one yet. The best episode? Yes, of our podcast. All right, I agree. That's... I think this will cover episodes 21 through 25 of season five yeah. of the television program, The Twilight Zone. Still called Twilight or Zone, Twilight technically. Zone. Correct. So let's just jump into it. Let's with do a it. a little something I like to call Spur of the Moment. Yeah. And where could they possibly be going with this title? And then the opening shot. There's a horse in it. It's, it's like, a oh, horse. Okay. I see. Yeah. It's all about horses. It's a really lazy title. It's not great. <laughs> but it goes places. And then it comes back again. So let me tell you about this one. Are you ready? I'm so ready. This one is a lady on a horse. She's a young lady. I think they say she's 18. 18, yep. yeah. So she's going for a ride, and she's going for a while, and it's like the classic Twilight Zone sagebrush UFO set. I really had a horrible feeling about this episode from the beginning. I thought, oh, God, we're going to hear a harmonica. And exactly. Civil War guy. Exactly. Over it. But no, it's worse. It's a shrieking lady on a horse, all dressed in black. She's on top of this hill, and she has a cape, and she's she got layers that open. Time. Hey, Cork, hang on. Let's take a break here. Okay, let's. let's I've had enough. <laughs> Do your impersonation of her of her scream. Um. Yeah, it's real good. So it's funny because there's a shot of the lady Anne, uh-huh. the young lady, kind of looking at the figure on For the horse. For a very long time. Kind of like a, what the f***? <laughs> expression <laughs> on her face. Yeah. Like, also, uh, you, let's back it up a little second. So Let's back it up from the very beginning. This is the Twilight Zone. <laughs> this is the Twilight Zone. So did you think they had to run down and choose the lady's name that was the closest to the sound of a scream? Because right away, I didn't pick up that she was saying Anne because she oh. just screams like a maniac. And then she chases Anne on her horse and she starts going like, ah, Anne, stop, Anne. Abigail, Catherine, <laughs> Judith. <laughs> That's yeah, true. It wouldn't sound quite as good. No. But anyway, eventually uh, common sense prevails and she's like, oh, this woman who just screamed something is chasing after me on her black horse. So I'm right. out of here. Right. So there's a big chase that... The lady, it's a really awkward horse turn where you're like, ah, there's really no reason that Anne didn't just get away super easily, but. Yeah, yeah. Did you, did you understand the dynamic right out of the gate with these two? Kind of, I kind of did, but we'll get to that, okay? Okay. We'll get to my thoughts later. <laughs> Please. Right now I'm just, by the book, objectivity only. Uh, Are you ready? So, yeah. At this point, the music, by the way, it sounded like something from a Looney Tunes. Sure. Cartoon. It was really weird. I can believe it. Anyway. So she and runs inside this house and leans against the door and her eyes roll back in her head and she's just totally exhausted because riding a horse is hard apparently. Mm. And her parents are there and her boyfriend, Fiance. David, or Bob, sorry, mm. Bob comes and then she starts telling them all about the chase because it was a pretty interesting thing to happen to you, I suppose. And she's like, oh, he's trying to, or she was trying to kill me. She would have killed like, me. He's like, ah, oh, we don't know that. We don't know that. And her boyfriend, Bob, makes a lame joke like... uh was she holding a sign saying uh, to call off the engagement, and it was signed Fate? Mm-hmm. Ha, 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 ha. And then the lady, she's just not into that joke at all. So right out of the gate, I'm assuming this guy is bad news, and that he's going to be the real culprit or the reason that this lady is trying to theoretically kill or at least get the attention of mm-hmm. Anne. Then the doorbell rings, and this guy comes in, and it's David. And he's just a total nutcase. The former lover. He's got a big head of hair. And the dad like tries to block him, but he's like, just let me talk to her. Just let me talk to her. And David, he runs over and he like puts his arms on her shoulders and starts kneading them like you ever had like a cat do that to you? <laughs> if it's just Praying really for my likes love. You. Yeah. And he's just like, must be bruising her and going, come on, it's not too late. It's not too late. And this goes on for a long time. And the entire family is just gathered around, including this guy, this yep. girl's fiance. Yeah, he's, he's like... Two feet away, just watching as this guy huh. just gropes his fiance. That's a hell of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. And then, like when David kind of sort of starts to give up, then that's when the fiance goes in for the attack. David punches him, and then the father reveals that he has a gun. Yeah. He's like, hey, get the hell totally out of here. Totally normal. Yeah. It kind of comes in. And he's like, you know, get out of here, or whatever, because I got a gun. 
Uh-huh. And you find out that David and Anne are chi- were childhood sweethearts, but I mean, she runs upstairs because this is again, this has just been a lot of drama. And the father has a gun, and this guy still won't give up. He still runs up to Anne trying to get her attention again before finally mm-hmm. she just doesn't say anything, which isn't really right. a great move for your theoretical protagonist for the episode. No, like, no real revelations. She just quietly walks away and lets her family handle it, and then he leaves. But then the camera gets all sparkly. It does like this weird kind of watery transition. Yeah, it's like a yeah. glimmering pond type of transition. And then we see Anne in the future coming inside. Yeah, so the lady in black is an older version of Anne. Older version of Anne. The house is all empty. Uh-huh. And it's got like tattered curtains and the furniture is covered in blankets. Right. And Anne just starts drinking. And her mom comes in saying that the lawyer called and the house might be taken. Uh-huh. And Anne's just like, I don't care. And mom says, this is the house you were raised in? You mean lowered in. It's a real good word. A real play. good one. The mom <laughs> slaps Anne, and Anne just slaps right back. Because she, the mom get, slaps Anne because she made Anne said something about dad. Yeah, it's nothing about dad dying. And then oh. Anne goes on to call herself, uh, what is it, a sterile alcoholic phantom married <laughs> to a man that's run this estate into ruin. Yep. And then she says, I saw a ghost today. Yeah, it's like she talks about. She's like, "Isn't you know that expression? Go chase yourself." Well, that's what I'm doing. Okay, I thought so, the expression was "Go f- yourself." <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've always said to people. No, in but the I 60s. Didn't, there's like a G-rated version. Yeah, it's completely different. Lord knows that's what you've been doing. Go chase yourself. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to get into the full timeline here, but it's a little bit. We'll get there in a second because I think it. It's a nice. It's a, anyway. It? Storytelling. Come on. Okay, fine. Just do it. I just I don't understand. So she was chasing Anne on the horse. Yes. She then gives up, goes back home, but it's the same home that Anne was chasing back to, being right. chased back to, right. which is confusing. So It's, it's like, not confusing because we'll see in a second why it's not confusing. Just go ahead and say it now. That's fine. Because what happens is she's talking about how she made a mistake that one day when she was 18, and then guess who comes in? It's David, that sleazeball. Which, I got to say, I'm not crazy about this episode overall, but mm-hmm. this is a pretty good twist. Because you think that the guy that came in asking desperately, desperately for her love mm-hmm. in the beginning of the episode, that he yeah. is the one that she should love have gone with and all. never did. Yeah, yeah. But no, it turns out that she did change her mind yep. and she did end up going with this guy and he was just a total monster. Right. She should have stayed with the lame guy that she was already engaged to. Right. So we see like David is all gross and he's like, eh, I'm the man of the house now. And she laughs at that and he starts babbling on about respect. And then... <laughs> The camera does the little water transition again. Yeah, it is back to the initial timeline at the engagement party, mm-hmm. and Bob and Anne are outside, and Anne's like, "Ah, eh, I'm cold," and he's like, "Ah, eh, go get you something for that, presumably mm-hmm. a shawl." And then David comes; he's lurking in a bush, yeah, from behind a bush, and he says, "You got to decide now." And then she's like, "Ah, let's go." Mm-hmm. And then Bob comes out with a shawl, and then uh, another flashback. Back to the other timeline. There's a lot of flashbacks. It kind of accelerates a little bit here. There's also there's a weird moment uh, when she's out on the front step and like this entire sequence with her and mm-hmm. uh, running away with the with the lover where she's like, oh, promise me you'll make me happy or whatever. Uh, they do this really obnoxious thing where they have music going on in the party, uh-huh. like emanating from the house. And they also put Twilight Zone music over the top of it. So it's just this cacophony. Oh, yeah. As they're trying to have a conversation. It's like, just choose one or the other. <laughs> Maybe it was just on set and they couldn't get that house music out of there. But mm-hmm. it struck me as really jarring. So she leaves with Ba or with uh, David. Uh-huh. And then it goes back to the dilapidated mansion timeline. And she throws her drink on David. Mm-hmm. And she's like, determined to fix this. Right. I think. So she hops on her horse and hits the trail. Also, it's cool when she hops on her horse there. Yeah. It's the exact same shot from the very beginning of the episode, except, mm-hmm. you know, obviously she's wearing all black and she's getting the black horse instead of the white yeah. horse and all white. So it's, it's, it's a cool it, effect. It's very nice. It's another chase, more cartoon music, mm-hmm. and then it's a time loop. Yeah. And so, like, you know, the episode opens with the innocent uh, white clothed girl running. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Sterling says some line about, like, this is the face of terror. And then at the end... Because yeah. the full loop by showing the old woman, yeah. showing her life of pure regret, uh, and saying, and then he changes it, and he's like, "This is the face of terror." Okay, so let's get okay. into this let's whole talk time about this because I'm loop. very confused. Okay, like overall, this episode, I it finished and I just gave me a quiet okay, mm-hmm. sure that is an episode of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, uh, but thinking about it more, 
she it okay. just hit me what you're about to say, and I didn't really think about it. How that time because she theoretically did that twice. She's already made she's, that decision. It's not like yeah. because by the time she has the chase, right? I guess she's trying to intercede before the engagement party. But it's the exact yeah. same chase. So that was her in the beginning, and then she's doing it again. So like I imagine that the okay. Anne, never mind. I was thinking about yeah. I'm back to my the way I was. You screwed me up big time, Hanson. Well, yeah, it's so. just a totally. It's just a loop. That's so that's, it's a perfect. It's not like a different Anne. But no, it's just that Anne that we saw at the, at the very beginning is destined to turn into Dark Anne, mm-hmm. which will in turn fail on her mission to try to warn herself and it'll just keep repeating this is like a matrix thing but she seemed cognizant of i mean it's confusing to leave that loop at a point where it sets up the loop again i know it seems like that should make sense but it doesn't necessarily work because it's the same dark and in the very beginning she's doing that so it, it you know what i mean it's just bizarre that she has the knowledge of the previous time she screamed to go get young Anne to change her life path and now mm-hmm. she, the episode ends with her doing that exact same thing it's just too late she should, she's too selfish when she's young right i understand so she's not changing she needs to get a faster her horse path. but it's weird that she just remembers it that old Anne remembers doing this again and again and again mm-hmm. maybe theory? it just didn't really make much of an impression on young Anne. i guess not like it was like well that was a hell of a thing but it did but it did because she talks about it. She talks about like, oh, I remember that day when I was attacked by a ghost yeah. uh, when I was young and I just didn't listen to her. Yeah. Um, Maybe next time she should say more than just Anne. <laughs> exactly. Or just not David flail. sucks big time. <laughs> now flail her cape wildly like Dracula or like <laughs> do her uh, dumb eyebrows yeah. in the most evil possible way. Oh, she could she throw does. a pumpkin like the Headless it's, Horseman. It's very close badass. to the Headless Horseman. Yeah. And it totally works for being a scary image in the beginning. Yeah. But if she's actually, I mean, I understand she's a sterile alcoholic wreck of a woman but she could have been more effective but i still don't understand like is there like a portal somewhere that she's yeah we saw it several times it looks like a pool of water (laughs) it happens when you pan past the front door (laughs) oh i see also i was really confused in the beginning of this episode when uh the uh the real d-bag that comes to try to woo her right when he leaves the next shot that's a name his name's david david sure david bag um when he leaves the next shot is uh, the lady in black entering her house, being all exhausted mm-hmm. from having chased Anne back to the house that she's also going into. It's very confusing. Um, so for a second, I thought, is that is David also the dressed up lady in black? Is there some weird like witchcraft going on where he's like trying to change himself to try and steer her away from that guy? Which it turns out is kind of the opposite of that. <laughs> but it's just it was jarring to have like David leave the house, uh-huh. and then the next shot is this witch lady coming back into the house. Yeah, I don't know. That's my whole point. It's a weird deal. There's, I still, I'm not great at wrapping my mind around it, but I think there's some logical fallacies in this episode. I don't mm-hmm. think it all lines up. If you wanted, I don't know why the mom would stick around. Yeah, at a certain point. Well, she's she's very loyal to the house. You know, it's a real good time in that house. Yeah, I guess. It's maybe nice stairs for running up if you're upstairs, upset yeah. about something. Maybe she married the fiancé that Anne ran out on, and they're kind of living <sighs> together upstairs in the attic. Robert. <laughs> Old hunky Rob. Uh, so I ended up giving this one a five. Yeah, I gave it a six. Oh, I like the idea of like a really awful time loop. Like this lady's okay. miserable forever. And that tight of a time loop. Yeah, it was, it's a very... It's like a 22-minute time loop, <laughs> essentially. And the fact that they're so quick to pull out a gun on somebody <laughs> i like that too just because i mean that guy he seemed like a real pain in the ass and i like that it, the father is proven correct that like oh yeah he was totally justified in whipping out that gun even though he seemed like a total sweetheart in the beginning mm-hmm. like the father could see or get had some hint about where this was gonna go yeah and know that it's just gonna end with him caressing his drunken wife talking about how powerful he is yeah Ugh. yuck spur right. of the moment <laughs> spur of the moment everybody <laughs> All right, moving on to the next episode. Probably, in a different way, this is the weirdest episode of The Twilight Zone, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right, great. So we're talking about an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Uh, not a bizarre name as far as The Twilight Zone goes, but it opens up and you realize that something is very weird. Something is wrong. Uh, it's in color, first of all. What? No. no. It's made that up. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, but I was like, that blind? That's the real occurrence? All right, so it turns out that uh, it opens with Rod Serling mm-hmm. immediately 
uh, explaining, like he's sitting down in front of a camera and a crane and a bunch of other video equipment. Uh, and he's explaining that like, hey, this is a weird one. <laughs> Here's what this is. We didn't make this. Uh, this is a short film that was debuted in 1962. So a couple of years back uh, mm-hmm. when they were filming this. Uh, and it won a bunch of awards at Cannes. And uh, it actually went on to win an Academy Award for short films. So technically a Twilight Zone episode has won an Oscar, which is a bizarre notion. Hmm. Um, but Rod Serling sets it up that like, hey, this is really good. I hope you guys enjoy this. <laughs> Check this shit out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's a story that's based on a short story by Ambrose, Ambrose Bierce. Were you yeah. familiar with Ambrose? I'd heard the name. Okay. Um, so it Serling really looked up to him a lot and he really hyped it up in the beginning. Uh, so I looked at him up on Wikipedia and he's a writer from like the 1800s. Uh, Wikipedia says that he had a motto and his motto was nothing matters. And that his sardonic view of human nature that informed his work earned him the nickname Bitter Bierce. <laughs> Bitter Bierce. I don't know if, I think Harry Potter drank that actually. <laughs> um, yeah. So also I, on the Wikipedia page, just because I'm a big Kurt Vonnegut fan, Kurt Vonnegut calls the short story in occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge the greatest American short story. Interesting. And so this is what the French took and made into a short film, which was then picked up by the Twilight Zone and aired. And the reason I looked at it even more. The reason that the Twilight Zone ended up airing this French short film is because uh, they were at the end of their season, like their shooting schedule, mm-hmm. and they were so unbelievably over budget that they needed to come up with something. And uh, the producer at the time, who's not the new producer since seasons four and five, uh, he remembered seeing this a couple years back. And you remember, they're like, oh, that was about short enough. And there wasn't really a lot of French in it. We could dub it yeah. over pretty easily, or at least it wouldn't be jarring if uh, there were a bunch of French accents. Um, and so then they picked it up, got the rights for like 10,000 bucks hmm. and then came in under budget for the overall season just by shoehorning this thing in there. I'm glad they did that instead of doing another like guy in a white room talking about <laughs> madness episode or something, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. The four o'clock type thing. Okay. So this actual episode, we should probably get to the good stuff. Let's huh? do it. All right. So it opens up also interesting. It opens up with the twilight zone titles. Uh, and like credits so they must have like overlaid that over the french film it's mm-hmm. not like it's a jarring transition it feels a lot like a twilight zone episode thematically especially uh the way it's shot the camera's always moving mm-hmm. which is different for twilight zone and uh it's really quiet and interesting Un- until it isn't until it isn't <laughs> okay so it opens up we're in the civil war your favorite era for twilight Zone. love it opens on a sign saying if you mess with this bridge you will be hanged yep don't mess around with this bridge. Because this bridge is only for hanging people who mess with it. That's exactly right. That's the sole right. purpose of the bridge. Yeah. So then uh, it shows that there is a guy who's essentially a prisoner during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. A real somebody, dandy. A real dandy. And uh, he is being hung on this bridge. But yeah. I feel like I skipped over seven minutes by saying that because it is- It is very slow. It is very slow. It, I, I'll get it out of the way. I think this is a great episode, but it is super, super slow, and it really takes its time building up every shot very slowly. A lot of wide shots of, like, the soldiers walking across the bridge. Mm -hmm. There's a weird glitch in the film where they kind of, like, jump back and then keep walking. It's like it reversed on itself. Hmm. And I was confused if that was going to be part of the storyline, but it definitely is not. Um, So episode goes on, and uh, the soldiers – There's this okay, so they have the – noose hanging off the bridge right it's a weird hanging i think we need to go into the mechanics yeah honestly. i'm really fascinated by this and then there's just there's a plank mm-hmm. sticking out from the side of this bridge it is just a loose board it's a loose board yeah they so walk the, over with a board so the guy is standing on one side and then a soldier standing on the other yep and they make it relatively clear by like switching who's over on the other side of the board like he's gonna fall to his death and get hung whenever they step off that other side of the board. Yes. That's just precariously balancing. And there's one moment, yeah, where they switch with the commanding officer mm-hmm. and he steps onto the board so that the other guy can step off. And like, it really, I don't know if it was designed to have this effect, but it really made me feel the impact of like, oh my God, like he is that close to being hanged. All this guy has to do is just step off that board or if they botch that transition of yeah. who's standing on the other side of the board. It's going to hit him in the lip. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> going to hurt so that, bad. That's what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> And so uh, he goes up there. There's, again, not much talking, so it should be pretty easy. And he starts uh, calling for his wife. It's like muttering, Abby, Abby. Um, And so then it goes into his mind, and he's imagining his wife, his beautiful wife, running towards the camera all beautifully. 
Um, Kid in the background on a swing. Yeah. Just, She's doing some cross stitch. That's right. Just the ideal home, you know. And it has this great audio effect where it's like a super slowed down stopwatch throughout this entire mm-hmm. dream sequence. Uh, and then it starts to speed up more and more and more uh, to the point that you're then back into reality and the commanding officer takes the guy's stopwatch. Yep. Uh, and opens it up and it has like a beautiful little music thing and he he shuts it. Uh, and then steps off the board. Oh, and his hands are tied. Yeah. Just to put it, like they tie his hands, they tie his thighs, they tie his feet. Yeah, they're really going to kill this guy. No yeah. matter what, he's not getting out of yeah. this thing. So he steps off the board. The guy falls, mm-hmm. but the rope breaks. Yes, because he starts falling, and then he's like in the water, and like, boy, they really had a long rope. And then it cuts to seeing the frayed end of the rope. Yeah, right, okay. right. And so this guy's then underwater, and so he's he's trying, like he realizes slowly Ugh. that he's still alive. And this is a tough scene, because he's trying to like take the rope off of his feet and his hands mm-hmm. so that he can swim to the surface. But then once his hands and his feet are free, he's been down there for a long time, Ugh. and he still decides to take the loose noose <laughs> off of his <laughs> neck. But he has, like, he's trying to kick and he can't because his thighs are tied together. Yeah. So then he ends up taking one of his... This is like a nightmare for me. <laughs> like this kind death? of scene just oh, yeah. kills me. It's, it reminds me, you've seen The Abyss? Yeah. Like the moment where they have to do the really like... The long Unassisted swim. swim. <laughs> that kind of stuff just... I cannot handle underwater stuff. So he finally gets up out yep. of the water. And then it's a really... <laughs> okay. <laughs> So is this, yeah, it is exactly where this is. So he gets up and then the music kicks in. I'm a living man. Okay. I just listened to it. So it goes, it goes a little something like this. He moves around. He walks around. He turns around. He sees a tree. And it just goes on listing like, I hear each bug. Yeah, upon he, each leaf and, and it's like each is accompanied by like a shot of like oh do drop on a leaf yeah super literal around. editing where it's like oh they mentioned seeing a tree so now we have to cut to a, a stock footage of a tree and here's a bug you think you could say gorilla riding a bicycle <laughs> <laughs> something interesting at least <laughs> uh but the song's all about the beauty of being a living man a living man yep. old living man and so then uh it cuts out of that Mm-hmm. By having the commanding officers who are still on the bridge, yep, in a very slowed down speech, but it's in English, mm-hmm. and he sounds kind of like Jabba, and he's just like, "Shoot him, we must shoot him," and he's telling all the soldiers that like this guy cannot get out alive. Everyone, arm yourselves, fire yes. away at this guy down in the river down there. Uh, they all fire. Some of the guns backfire. Everybody else just misses, mm-hmm. and so to the point that you think this is probably getting supernatural. Like, that this guy is being kept alive as well. Yeah. Uh, they then fire a freaking cannon onto the guy in the water. It looks like it's a direct hit. I watched this a couple times. Yeah. And he just, like, sticks his hand right out of the river again, and yep. he's totally fine. So he goes floating down the river. Down a waterfall. Down crazy rapids. Yeah. And this is an actual guy that did this. I'd imagine he just has padding everywhere. But this is one of the craziest stunt sequences that we've seen so far. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, he goes down crazy, crazy rapids, and it's just one shot, and then you see him get out at the bottom, mm-hmm. and he's still a real person just yep. going down the river. So then, okay, I have a question for you. Yeah. We, he Then you see him running through, like, a – this is an area I feel like I've seen, if not this area mm-hmm. in movies, this location. I see something that looks identical to it time and time again. It's this. You know where you see it a lot? I think it's in World War II footage. Or films, because it looks, I would imagine it's just in France, but it's it like looks the like row a row of trees. Right, and there are just trees as far down as you can see, and they're yeah. all kind of very thin and uh-huh. straight, but kind of curved near the top. It seems yep. like, have you seen The Visitors? No. Have you seen Love and Death, the Woody Allen movie? No. Okay. <laughs> we need to see each other's movies. They both probably contain the same rows of trees. Yeah, but anyway, he's running on that. There's like a level on Project Gotham Racing, I think, that is similar <laughs> that as well, too. But... Anyway, he runs down that little Not boulevard. just runs down it. I, I really like this, this like, a lot because... He trips. Yeah, well, beyond that, because he's running towards the camera down this row of trees, just mm-hmm. trying to get away from these maniacs. He wants to be a living man, you know? Yeah, he's a living man. Living man. He wants to see a bug on a leaf. And so he's running as fast as he can, and then the camera is on the back of a truck, and it does this great thing where it starts to take off once he gets relatively close, so that it eventually evens out so that the camera stays at 
almost the same distance as him mm-hmm. as he's running, but it's, it's a really cool effect. He then trips, right? Yeah. Uh, and it feels like we're flying through the plot of this episode, but we should point out it's still relatively slow. He's wandering around in the forest and mm-hmm. stuff. And is it at this point? Then he sees his house and wife. Yeah. Well, we missed it. The song plays again, we should point out in the 22 minutes thing because like once he gets out of the river after the rapids mm-hmm. he's like throwing sand around and smelling flowers because he's so happy to be yeah. alive still uh so yeah then he's running down he eventually goes through giant gates mm-hmm. at the end of that long road in theory and at that point i'm thinking okay we're in like a the hunt situation and this guy died a long time ago and this is some sort of heaven mm-hmm. and that's the end of it uh but he goes through the gates and then runs into yeah his wife and family and that reminded me of the, the death ship sequence where it's just like, oh, in the middle of nowhere, here's your wife and kids. So you know something's yeah. up. Well, she, here's the thing. She seems happy, but crying, but in a way that's not like tears of joy. I'm so uh-huh. relieved. She looks kind of sad about seeing him too in the same way. There's this yeah. really, like her performance is really effective, I think. Yeah, and in that scene where you get to really study her face, it gets bizarre because it does basically a non-comedic version of the joke from the Holy Grail where they're storming the castle. It's like, dun, 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 and like they're running up over the hill. And then the guards are like, whoa, like mm-hmm. looking out. And then it cuts back to the same footage of them running up over the hill. Yeah. It does this where it shows the same shot of him coming out of the woods towards his wife like three or four times. And it is the exact same shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, those French uh, tours over there, you know. Yeah. They have to get into- you think Rod Serling would sort of snip that right out trying to get the running time down uh so anyways uh he goes up and he's about to embrace his wife he does embrace his wife yes and just he's about to really get into the hug it's this awesome sequence of him snapping his own neck back and screaming No, because she she reaches out and touches his neck oh really i guess i don't remember that yeah she goes like he's going for a hug and she like her hands go up and like gently touch his neck and that's the moment where his head snaps back and he's he's being and he screams and it cuts back and he's still on the rope yeah one of the best moments in the twilight zone so far i really really loved it and then like it it adds a whole new layer to the idea of it being called an occurrence at owl creek ridge Mm -hmm. because it's like oh it literally is just the entire episode has been this occurrence as he's imagining having more life or wishing that he still was alive. Yeah, because even that glimpse of his wife at the very beginning was just a memory. Right, right. And everything's just this millisecond Inception-style, super slowed-down version of him living more life in the milliseconds before his I'm really curious to see how this works as a short story. Yeah, yeah. Do you think they still... I would imagine they would keep kind of the twist format in there. Yeah, but... And then suddenly she touched his neck and he died. Because it was all a fake out. Yeah, I'm sure it's written. He's more... probably yeah, he's probably better. Yeah. It doesn't matter though. Yeah, if it was or not. <laughs> but this yeah. might be a good episode for like a deeper dive later on, like we talked about doing for uh, it's a good life and stuff. Yeah, like going back and reading the the source material. Yeah, because I would be super curious. I'm sure it's just on Kindle pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's the whole episode. Then he just hangs there, and then it's kind of a bummer because Sterling now feels obligated to stick to the Twilight Zone format and give like a closing narration. War where... stinks. <laughs> It's basically, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, it turns out there are two occurrences. One is fantasy and one is it actually happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, isn't this a case of the Twilight Zone? Um, and I assume he felt obligated to do that, but it's a weird spot to have to put closing narration over somebody else's film. A um, little bizarre. Yeah. So this was actually, this show, this episode was not run in syndication later on. Huh. Yeah, so I think it just would have been a confusing format because it would have been really bizarre to just be sitting by your TV in the early 60s and just seeing this pretty abstract French film showing up. I can't imagine they would run too many foreign short films on TV. Well, there's not a whole lot of speech, so it really wouldn't matter. No, but just I think the pacing of it would really throw people off for yeah. the overall episode. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I assume that they dubbed it over with uh, English voices, like the few bits that they had in there. But I'm not sure. Um, yeah. And they probably like redid the sign in CG. Yeah. It was in English. Yeah. Could be. Or maybe it is kind of like weird that it's posted in the beginning. I think it's just like a still image. So maybe they yeah. did add that. I don't know. I'd love to know more about how they actually adapted it. Yeah. Um, but it's cool that this short French film that even though it won the Oscar, uh, it just would not be seen today if it weren't for Twilight Zone running out of money. 
Like, think of how many great French short films there probably are out there. Just we'll never see them, but because of this one, mm-hmm. you shoehorn a Twilight Zone for a really <laughs> bizarre reason. We get to enjoy it. Uh, I feel like I'm gushing about this too much. Did you like this episode? Yeah, that was pretty good. Okay. Yeah, I gave it an eight. Oh, you did? Yeah. What did you good. give it? Uh, I also gave it an eight. Yeah. Um, here's the problem. What's that? I I think this episode's really good. That song is not great. There walks around. <laughs> um. Should we knock it? I feel like even in my eight score, I knocked it a little bit for not really being Twilight Zone. It's not produced by them. Mm-hmm. It's not managed by them. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm talking about eliminating this from the Franklins. Oh, so we would still our score is kind of an asterisk. Like, I think so. You think so? I would think, and, and I was really thinking about this for like Franklins. I think the name can still count for like mm-hmm. best title, but any content within it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's tough because we want to assess the Twilight Zone as a whole. Technically, this is part, but not really. It's just, it stands out so much that it can't be like, well, this is the best the Twilight Zone ever did because they didn't do it. Yeah. It's a really weird case, but I love that there's this curveball at the very end of our run here. Mm. Yeah, I can go either way, honestly. Okay. I I see your your argument. I'm sure we'll have it again for season five Franklin's, maybe beyond. I, I do think it was a really good twist. Yeah. Just assuming that he was dead, I, I had no idea that he would still be dangling from the rope super slowly. Yeah, and what? For a bridge? <laughs> I hope you're happy. Yeah, the commander really liked this bridge. All right, that took a while. Sorry. It did. Let's move on. Well, fortunately, we've got this fast-paced episode, <laughs> Queen of the Nile. Whiz-bang, baby! Boom! All right, so we start off. Guy in a convertible. That should be a Franklin category. Best guy in a convertible. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Anyway, guy in a convertible, and he's driving up to a place, like a mansion, and it's got all kinds of Egyptian stat- statues out front. Right. And he walks out, and he tells the maid he's got an appointment, and uh, he's meeting with the famous actress, Pamela Morris. And as we learn, uh, this guy's name's uh, Jordan. He writes a column. He's like a celebrity columnist. He writes about it for more than 100 right. syndicated it's a syndicated column. It's like a hundred. But he's papers. coming here for the scoop. He's a man on a mission. It's for the scoop because he's he's heard some things. <laughs> so he goes inside the house while he's waiting. Sees some bunch more Egyptian crap. Sees a painting of her from 1940. This is right out of the gate, and yeah. he's looking very suspicious at this painting from 1940. So because mm, it looks identical to the beautiful lady he sees emerging from a swimming pool. Right. So it's kind of a bummer that the episode immediately kind of destroys the mystery. Well, that and the harp music immediately tells <laughs> you that there's mysticism at play here. That's true. That's true. So uh, there's an old lady, uh, bef- and she's outside. With a with- weird accent. Yeah, and she says, I'm not going to stand by and let it happen again. And then Pamela Mora says, you will because I say you will. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, Jordan comes over, and she's like, hey, please relax. I think you're nice. And mm. she starts hanging out, and then he's like, well, how old are you? She turns it around. Well, how old do you think I am? And he's like, ah. And then. Um, she says she's 38. Yep, 38. Eventually. And he's like, okay. That's I guess, great. I guess that's reasonable. You look like a pretty young 38, but that's a good age to guess. Why not? Yeah. Old lady comes back in and we learn it's Pamela's mom. Um, so anyway, Jordan comes and he's got some some notes about her old movies. Uh-huh. And this is another case where if IMDb would have been tremendously. Oh, it would have saved him so much hassle. She says. You know, yeah, I'm 38, but seeing you makes me feel like I'm 21. And then they immediately start kissing. I mean, this is just like five minutes after they've met. And she's like, what must you think about me? Well, you're a journalist. You understand how it is. Oh, yeah, totally. And he's just all about it. He's like, ah, I wanted it too. So how about we do dinner tonight? It's okay. It's on. So they're going to have dinner over. That's great. Just immediately. And so you think that this guy is going to be pushing the investigation forward, that he's going to be trying to get to the bottom of it. But he's trying to find something. Hey, brother. So mom calls him over on the way out. It's uh-huh. like, don't see her again. And he's like, why? That's my performance right there for you. <laughs> why? And he's like, she's older than you think. And he's like, well, how old do you think she is? You wouldn't believe me. And then she says, I'm not her mother. Right. I'm her daughter. Dun, 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 dun. So mom's crazy. We know know that's going on. So anyway, Jordan calls his office and he says, hey, can you do me a favor and look through the old files, this uh, Queen of the Nile movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Find out 
you know, who was in that and everything. And then because she claims she was 15 when she was in it. And he's like, yeah, right. look, 15 in that classic movie. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah, it's 15. I don't know what to tell so you. The, his, the guy on the other end of his office is like, well, which one? There was a silent one and a talkie. Uh-huh. The silent one was from 1920. Yeah. And he says it's a sad story because the one in 1920, the actress died in an accident while they were shooting. We were almost done with shooting. And then he tells the guy, well, compare photos of the actress with uh, with Pamela Morris. And he's like, eh, hey, they look alike, but they're also dressed as the same character. You also, this guy's guess- filing cabinet is basically just Wikipedia. He just, like, walks <laughs> over there and he has anything. Like, the guy on the other side of the phone is like, I need a picture of a gorilla riding a bike. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> but, yeah, so then it, the camera shows what this guy's looking at, like the two actresses mm-hmm. from the two pictures. And it's just clearly the same person. It's like the same headdress. Yeah, almost <laughs> the same headdress. Yeah, and he's like, oh, it's too tough to tell. Yeah. So then we cut back to Jordan, and he's got all kinds of clippings with him. Like, he is really going to burn her. Right. Big time. Yeah. So he's coming into the house, and then the daughter confronts him. Don't show her the stuff. Uh-huh. And anyway, she he talks to her. And uh, and he makes some comment about like, oh, what's your secret? Yeah, yeah. And then it's got something to do with the scarab. We know that, right? Because they have the imagery all around the house. Like, right. So she puts some stuff in the coffee. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, I want the truth. And then she's like, all right, here's the here's the deal. Pulls out this little glass box and it's got this, a scarab beetle in it, right? She pulls it out from like behind a plant. It's a really elaborate... <laughs> Like, eh, it's this old thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, it's a magical scarab. Yeah, I just keep it back here. No big deal. It's like you got access to a mummy case, presumably. <laughs> Why wouldn't you put it in that? <laughs> and then at that moment, the poison seizes Jordan and he falls down. Yeah. And she, like, unbuttons his shirt a little bit and pulls the beetle on his chest. And it, like, kind of digs around a little bit. The beetle is completely disinterested in this guy's <laughs> chest. And I don't know what they did to, like, at least make the beetle stay there because it's yeah. like wiggling around and then he turns old you see him get all withered it's the exact effects as long live walter jameson when he gets exactly shot, where it's like they yep. do the cool lighting effect where they have like his makeup on then shift the lighting so it's the oh same but it color. gets it is not as good though because then he yeah. turns into just like if you did a google search for skeleton in a suit <laughs> this, it would pop up yeah it's so he eventually really becomes a skeleton and then the skeleton skulls cracks in half which is yeah. cool yeah and then uh and then he becomes dust on the floor, exactly dust. like Walter Jameson. Right, and then the daughter comes in and sees the suit full of dust, and she's like, clean it up. You know what to do. And she's like, ugh. And then you see the beautiful Pamela Morris later on sitting down with another reporter. Right. Why won't anyone get to the bottom of this story? And she's like, she's shoving a beetle into her chest. Like, she did that right after it sucked the life out of her. Yeah. And that's how she absorbs everlasting life. Mm-hmm. And so they never say that she's Cleopatra. Just, I mean, Cleopatra's Egyptian, right? Sure. Okay. But yeah, she's just some ancient queen from Egypt. That's the implication. Right. And she just really likes Egypt so much that she keeps this crap around. She just won't let it go. It's the perfect alibi, really, (laughs) to exclusively star in really crappy movies about Cleopatra, if you are indeed Cleopatra. But, man, so Egyptian time is supposed to have been that sweet. If she's lived that long, and she's still like, that's the era, baby. That's the sweet spot. I've seen it all, but that was what I want to constantly make movies about. She must be insufferable on set. Oh, This is not really (laughs) what it was like or what I imagine it would be like. (laughs) Okay. I'm really confused. Okay. What was with the line about how the younger actress died on set of the first Queen of the Nile? I think what they what she did was fake her own death so that she could, she could then reboot it, back away, come up with like a, a new pseudonym, mm. and and I can uh, see that restart. Because okay. otherwise, if she just kept calling herself Pamela Morris, yeah, eventually that guy's file cabinets would expose the secrets. By themselves, right? I guess like, so. Yeah, this lady, this actress is 140 years old, at least. She really had a horrible idea. She really wants to live forever. Stop being in movies. <laughs> exactly. Stop putting your name out there that it, are very solidly attached to a date. It is a terrible idea. But I like the idea that she has a daughter. Yep. Uh, probably with the scarab, now that I think about it. They went on a nice date. Mm-hmm. And uh, she would call the daughter her daughter up until a point that it would probably become her sister. Yep. In the eyes of the public, and then it's gonna. Oh no, then that's my mother, 
and then she dies and then she probably has another kid and just repeats that process thousands of times hundreds of times yeah so sterling says oh. not to be too curious about this lady's past no problem <laughs> not gonna be an issue mr sterling I, if i hadn't taken notes i could not tell you anything <laughs> about this episode actually so uh yeah it just it really bummed me out how that guy went in on that mission as like a hard-hitting journalist and then just immediately was like eh, yeah, yeah. hard-hitting gossip journalist yeah i guess so it was just so. immediately like ah I not. I'll just make out with my subject. <laughs> I mean, you worked you worked for a newspaper for a while. I'm not going for another make out joke. But was did this actually happen? Where people just go out on the road and call in for their editor every once in a while and be like, "Eh, I'm still working on it. I don't know." Uh, no. Okay, you didn't really experience that. No, I don't know if that still happens in this day and age. I'll tell you the story when I get it. Or if they did, they would talk to their own personal editors, not the <laughs> copy desk. I see. So okay. That's not nearly Sorry as Sorry to disappoint you. That's really a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this episode, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up giving it a four. Yeah, I gave it a five. Uh, wh- you seem more down on it than I am. Can I revise it? Yeah, absolutely, man. Okay. How about... God, yeah, the more I think about it, I'm going to do you one better, not just to be a story topper. How about a three? You're going to go for the three. I'm going to go for a three. All right. That... I'm gonna, I halved my score. Effectively, I talked myself out of it. This episode was a real stinker. Yeah, it wasn't great. I feel bad about that. That's all right. All right, next episode is called What's in the Box? Cork, you'd like to do the... Uh... Am I doing this one? No, but you have to say the title in a certain way. What's in the box? What's in the box? It's not a great... Not great. It, you know what? That's really terrible. I'm yeah. sorry I made you do You can fix it with audio filters. Oh, absolutely. All right, uh, what's in the box? Here we go. So you want me to tell you what's in the box? Yeah. I just get it over with. There's, yeah. There's um, a bunch of tubes. That's <laughs> true. All right. So opens up on a repairman working on a couple's TV. And mm-hmm. I think, yeah, they're in New York, right? Yeah. And so it's a, you know, there may be like 45, 50, maybe a little bit above that. And uh, it's this old couple. Can we, real quick. Yeah. The the TV repairman. Yes, you don't see him really at the very beginning. No, he's just got his head down working on the TV. There, he's got all of his tools, and it looks like there are a thousand different boxes of tubes. Oh, really? Spread out on the floor. It's a complex it's job. Insane. Well, they don't appreciate him, as we'll get to here. Yeah, let's get to it. This guy's Sorry a real character. That. And so uh, the old man is talking to his wife, and he's like, "Ah, oh, cut it down to a dull roar." Well, yeah, we've got company, uh, and she is yelling at him about how he's cheating on her. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, oh, he constantly has these surprise long fares because he's a taxi driver and he's hauling people all over. Um, and then she starts joking around, but not really because she's bitter the entire time. about like, oh, yeah, well, you should see how the cute butcher looks at me. He looks at me like I'm Cleopatra or something. Yeah. Which is weird coming off the last episode. And, and the guy, Joe, is super impatient because he wants to watch wrestling that night. Yeah, he's so really talking up. about this tag team match, which we'll get to in a bit because it's confusing. So he goes back out to the TV repairman. And they have a big reveal for this TV repairman. Like, it is a shot just dedicated to him. He takes his head out from behind the TV and looks right in the camera. And he just has horrible hair, which I assume is a wig. Uh, That's his real hair. Oh, it is. Uh, Because Joe is screaming at him, talking about like, oh, I don't blow it, something, something, something. And this guy just looks sheepishly at the camera. He's like, huh, you can't win them all. Uh, Okay, you know who this guy is, right? This guy is Sterling Holloway. This is Winnie the freaking Pooh. I picked up on that immediately. You hear his voice, and it's like, oh, this is Winnie the Pooh. And then I looked him up because it was like, Twilight Zone was treating him like he was a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did a lot of, yeah, old Disney voices, including, this is the one that, of course, I don't know why I didn't hear this immediately, it's Ka the Snake from Jungle Book. It's Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> okay, it's Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> I don't, like, okay, the Jungle Book, great. I have more affection for Ka the Snake than Winnie the Pooh. Really? Oh, yeah, Winnie the Pooh's okay. I like Tigger. He's Jungle funny. Jungle good, too. But Winnie, Winnie the Pooh's Pooh. adorable. All right. He's cute. He thought he was going to be a cl- dressed up like a cloud. Yeah. So the bees would let him get the honey. It's very cute. And so, uh, yeah, this guy is the TV repairman. He gets insulted by this guy. Mm-hmm. And so he heads out. And so the Joe guy cracks a beer, and he starts getting super excited about the fact that he has Channel 10. Mm-hmm. On this TV, and this is the part actually where I didn't I didn't pick up on it before. Um, and he goes, "Hey, fellas, check this out. We get Channel Ten. I, yeah, I didn't realize it was his wife's name is Phyllis, 
But when he says her Is name, that what's going on? That's what's going on. Her name's Phyllis. But he says, "Hey, fellas, get it, check this out." I'm like, "Who's he talking to?" Is I have like, exactly the exact same thing. The boys are over. All? I'm like, "Is he yelling at people across the hall?" Yeah. Because wow, that explains a lot. But yeah, I don't know if I'm fully going with that theory. It's totally true. So it's not a theory. Her name's Phyllis. Okay, you looked it up. Yeah, he, he calls her Phyllis several times afterward. Okay, but it's still it gets confusing because later on in the episode he calls her he. He like as like oh he's not not a great guy. He's not a great guy, but he always refers to her. In like a gender swapped way, it's super confusing, yeah. uh, and that's this was the first instance of being like, wait, what's going on here? So, anyways, so he's super excited. He's calling in his wife to see Channel Ten or whatever. So then Serling gives his intro, uh, and he makes an Ed Sullivan reference by calling us a really big shoe. Hilarious. Good job. Good job, Serling. Uh, so he turns on the TV in this magical Channel Ten, and with beautiful lighting, it is him mm-hmm. and some bimbo lady. Uh, who's talking about marriage with him. In the in the taxi cab. In the taxi. And it becomes clear that like, oh, this is his mistress, his little side lady. And so he's very confused about this whole thing. Totally out of his league. I was very confused about this whole thing too. It's it's a little weird. It's a little weird how he pulled it off, but he, whatever. He's it's a high sw- prestige job. Back that's in the right. Day. That's right. And so he switches it over to wrestling then. And this is the confusing part. Almost the most confusing part of this whole episode he makes a big deal out of the fact that it's not the tag team match that he was hoping for that he explained earlier. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's the Wild Panther versus the Russian Doof. Right. I, I, the reason they did that yeah. is so that he would have an excuse to go back to Channel 10. Because if oh, it was I all see. that stuff that he was super excited about, then he would have been like, eh, that Channel 10 is just me in a taxi cab. Right. I can see that every day. Okay. All right. So he switches back to Magical Channel 10, and now it gets bizarre because mm-hmm. he is seeing the opening scene from the Twilight Zone. Yes. Not like with the credits and the titles and whatever. <laughs> That'd be cooler if they did the that. Mannequin with the hair. That's exactly right. No, but instead he's just watching himself argue with uh, his wife in the kitchen and talking about like, oh, cut it down to a dull roar. Really? We've got company. Like that entire sequence, it's like same shot for shot mm-hmm. as uh, what he's seeing. Um, so he starts assuming that his wife is messing around with them. It's like, ah, you're trying to crack me up because they have a very, very hostile relationship. Um, And then he looks back at the TV and now it is just footage of him beating the bejesus out of his wife and his wife throwing crap around and yeah, then just in this all-out brawl. Yeah, because he's told he told his wife, call the repairman, something's wrong with the TV. Right. And she calls a doctor instead. And at that moment, then you see like this crazy brawl. People are throwing things. Yeah, it's pretty. Chasing each other around books, and punching then it, walls. It ends with him punching his wife right in the goddamn face. And she goes flying out through the window. It's been a long time since someone's flown through a window. But in I'm so zone. happy to see it. Yeah. Yes. And it's basically, I mean, this is basically the most unusual camera at this point. The only way this could have been any better, because I was like, oh. oh, that awful lady has gone through a window. Uh-huh. If... He punched himself and threw himself out the, <laughs> the window next to it. And then it was just These credits. characters suck. I hated both of them immediately. Uh, anyway, right. that's fair. But, I mean, not poorly acted, just their their aspects. Just irredeemably awful. Okay, that's true. So he's crying and all sad. Yeah, that's the commercial break is he's screaming on the floor and whatnot. Uh, so then it cuts back and his wife is talking to the doctor in a weird way. Did you pick up on this? Because it's just like... A lot of her staring yeah. at the doctor, and either she's super bored or she's like flirting with the doctor. I don't know if I trust this doctor either, by the way. Yeah. Because he's like, well, I gave him a sedative and a prescription for tranquilizers, but I'm only a family doctor. And you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> Just, you're t- you're going to want to see a psychiatrist because I'm only a family doctor. It's like, meanwhile, here's something to knock him out <laughs> and to tranquilize him. By the way, like, he seems to have become quite bewildered regarding the past, present, and future. Yes. Something like that. I don't know. Let's let's not pay attention to it. Yeah, he's like a TV addict. He can't distinguish between reality and stuff. And he says, this is not a condition only afflicting the juvenile or moronic. <laughs> oh. Great doctor. And so the wife turns on the TV and it's like, you know, it starts out in some channel. It's some car salesman who's holding a mic and he's being obnoxious for all. Then she flips a over really to really long commercial. Yeah, too. yeah. I don't know why they felt the necessary to show that. And then she switches over to channel ten. And it's just static mm-hmm. for her. Um, so she goes into the bedroom to try and talk with her husband, and he tries to be a good guy, but not really a good guy, by just confessing that he cheated. Uh, and she gets super mad. And this is again 
where he calls her a he. I swear it happens. Um, and then she starts screaming at him. And he's like, oh, I was trying to patch things up. And they start fighting again. And then this guy just goes, get out of here. And then the wife screams in the super deep voice. She goes, you bet I will. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Jesse Ventura all of a sudden. Um, and she's going to take everything at when she takes him to court. Yeah, yeah, for sure. By the way, I should apologize for the amount of screaming or loud singing we've done on this episode. I'm sure it's torturing people. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> and so he can hear the TV from the other room, and he can hear a courtroom. Mm-hmm. And the courtroom is sentencing him uh, to execution for murdering his wife. Uh, so he runs out there to check out the TV just in time to see himself being sentenced uh, and then put in an electric chair mm-hmm. and fried to death for punching his wife and knocking her out of the window. All the while, his wife is still losing it and screaming about how he's fooling around on her and how he constantly goes to the dancing bars and topless bars and some place called Yonkers? <laughs> is that what this it's is? A, it's a borough in New York. Oh, it is. Okay. Because yeah. then... Well, it's it, a little different because well, yeah. they, they get in the big fight right. and everything. Then he sees himself in the electric chair. Right. And and then she starts laughing at him. Yeah. She's like, what do you see, Joe? What uh-huh. do you see, Joe? You see your girls, Joe? That whole thing. And then she starts going, Yonkers, Yonkers, Yonkers. And it's a close-up of her face saying it over and over and again. And then it's just the old gut punch through the window yeah, in real that's, life. That's how they break out of that fight. And even after seeing himself getting fried, he cannot stand his wife so much that he ends up doing exactly the thing that he saw on the TV. Mm-hmm. And like, you knew that. Like the second right. you saw that on the TV the first time, it's like, well, there's no way around this. This right. episode has to end in this spot. And then immediately the cops come a bunch with, with long, uh, along with a whole bunch of like bystanders. Immediately. Everyone, like, immediately. It's like they were also watching the program and they knew this was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and then and like, the repairman too. Then the repairman's there, and he like gives like a very hammy look to the camera, and he's like, "You will recommend my service, won't you?" Mm-hmm. And like slides his mouth to the side, and then he walks out. And that's the I whole don't know episode. Who that's for. Yeah, I don't like, know who it's for either. Can you do a Winnie the Pooh impersonation? No, your first one was not as bad as the second. one. Yeah, that's true. I, I really lost that. it. I'm sorry. It's Turn right. it to Ed. It's Wynn not as good as my What's in the Box. Uh, it's certainly better. We all have our own gifts. So this episode wasn't great. I love the idea of it becoming so self-referential that they're watching an episode of the Twilight Zone within an episode of the Twilight Zone. I feel like the Bard did self-referential a lot better. Yeah, though. that's, I mean, that aspect of it may be talking about the writing process, yeah. Or even when Rod Serling appeared in uh, the end of the first season. <laughs> if you really want self-referential, <laughs> yeah. I guess you can't really beat that. Um, but it's still a cool idea. Uh, and I also, I know you hate the characters, but I really liked how rough they were. I like that these are like the most bitter characters that have ever appeared in the Twilight Zone. And I didn't find them that annoying, but just the idea that they were that hostile towards each other and just showing a marriage deteriorated this far. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's pretty bold TV for the 60s. I mean, this super angry couple that hates each other just beating the crap out of each other. This is the era where like Andy Cap was still going really strong. Who's Andy Cap? Andy Cap, a little comic strip of. I don't know that. Yeah, it's like an old English comic strip. And he's. You can't. It's the guy. He's got like a green, like fat guy hat, and it's plaid, and you can't see his eyes. He's the... always got like a cigarette, and he's always him and his wife are always like fighting each other. Oh, really? Oh no, yeah. I don't know it. Sorry, but still, it's it. I think it, it stands out a little bit for that, and I ended up giving it a six. Yeah, I gave it a five. All right, I can live with that. That's you're gonna have to. <laughs> so there you go. All right, moving on, dude. Moving on to our final episode, the masks. <laughs> <laughs> So we open with this has a large cast of characters. So yeah. here we go. They're all great. They're all great. Open with a cantankerous old man named Jason, and he's getting checked out by a doctor in bed. And doctor says basically, things aren't looking good, Jason. You're probably gonna die in a few hours. Mm-hmm. And Jason says Jason's a really skinny old guy with like a little mustache. Looks like John Waters. Exactly. Yeah. He says, ah, I got a few things to do before midnight, so I'll stick around that long, right? And then it pulls back, and he's sleeping in what looks like a bunk bed. <laughs> like It's like a little kid bunk bed. He's a very wealthy man. He can sleep wherever he wants to. Exactly. Part. And this is in New Orleans, right? Uh-huh. So then the doctor comes out into this mansion, and all these family members are there, right? Mm. And the doctor says, well, Jason is dying, right? And here, let me introduce you to everybody. Please. We've got Jeffrey is the butler. Uh-huh. We've got Dr. Thorne. Uh, we have Wilfred, who is... The husband of Emily, 
who is Jason's daughter. Right. Wilfred Jr. and Paula, which Wilfred Jr. and Paula are Emily and Wilfred's children. Got it. They're grown children. Correct. Ish. So anyway, so they're in the, kind of in the, what would you call that? The Grand Hall? Sure. Kind of looks like Resident Evil. Yeah, it's it's the Resident Evil mansion. Okay. So... They're hanging out there. Jason, doctor says Jason's dying. Emily just doesn't seem to care at all. She's talking about her health and how she's got all these muscle spasms and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Wilford is asking about the old boy's health, and he seems really happy, kind of. And you see that um, basically Jason comes out and he kind of takes inventory of the whole family briefly, so the audience knows what's going on. And Emily's a hypochondriac. Wilfred. He he says, "Hey Wilfred, you know the only book you've ever read is a ledger." He's kind uh-huh. of like, they cut you open, they find a cash register. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Paula, she's always kind of looking in the mirror, and she's very vain. Mm-hmm. She's like, "Oh, it's good, good to see you." And he's like, "You haven't seen me. You've only yeah, whatever." Looking yeah. in the mirror. Then Wilfred Junior is just this <laughs> snide-looking bully guy, and he says, "You're looking as aware as ever." And you learn that he's really cruel. He's been um, he tortures animals. He's like, "I haven't done that in a long." You know, that was what, last year or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And he's later. like, he's just dicking around in the grandfather's wheelchair, <laughs> yeah. being super bored. And then like when uh, the grandfather mentions like, hey, we're, I'm going to show you some masks. Mm-hmm. Wilfred Jr. is like, oh, that might be fun. And then like as he's grandfather's making fun of him about torturing small animals, he's like, hey, lay off, grandfather. Yeah. It's very Buster from Arrested Development. Like he yeah. always calls him grandfather. He says, what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a Mardi Gras party here. Right. With masks. And Wilfred's like, how droll. <laughs> so the, the thing is, we're going to have dinner. And then afterwards, Jeffrey comes. He says, get the masks. And mm-hmm. He talks about these masks were made by an old Cajun. And they're all these gross looking things. But... um. And you see them look outside, and you see, like, all this stock footage of Mardi Gras and people doing yeah. all kinds of crazy stuff. real party. And uh, Paula is so bored. She wants to go out and meet some cute young men. Exactly. So these masks were made by an old Cajun. They have uh, certain properties. And you're supposed to pick masks. There's uh, five of them. Mm-hmm. Right. You're supposed to pick a mask that's kind of the antithesis of your personality. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. So... Jason kind of hands them out or goads people and he's like, you know, for instance, for Wilfred, you're a real aff- affable guy. So here, take this one. It's this kind of sad looking mask. Emily gets this mask. Does he call her a gutless flab? <laughs> sure. I don't know. Maybe I just made that up. No, that's myself. fine. I'll go with that's that. That's this really like sad, another like really grotesque looking thing. Uh-huh. Uh, Paula gets one that's kind of like a little pig nose. And so you realize that the joke here is that like, yeah, you're supposed to put a mask on that's the complete opposite of yourself and the way he's pitching it is mm-hmm. like he's just like oh you know you're so beautiful paula you should take this ugly mask but the yeah. whole idea is yeah it represents exactly who they are yeah exactly and wilford gets this like wilford jr gets one that looks kind of like a caveman-ish clown yeah. kind of thing and then yeah. jason gets a skull right and the gimmick is they have to wear it until the ma- unmasking at midnight which is like the most boring <laughs> like masquerade of all time if you're, if you're just sitting there with your relatives <laughs> And that's basically what they do. They just sit there. And complain constantly about having to wear a mask because it's just miserable for yeah. them. It says you don't have to play, you know, but right. if you do, everything is yours right after midnight uh, if you wear the mask. If you take the masks off before midnight, all you get is a train ticket back home. Yep. Which is even in itself pretty generous for this guy. Yeah, exactly. And you get a free mask, presumably. <laughs> so they're, their masks are pretty cool looking. They are pretty cool. So they're all sitting there and you see like, it's like, five minutes to midnight mm-hmm. and Emily's griping about how she's suffocating and they just won't stop bitching about it. <laughs> so Jason coughs and he says, I'm about to die. He's pretty nimble up until that point. Oh yeah. And now it's like stroke of midnight. Then he's like, well, I'm going to go. Got to go. And he gives this big speech about how they all suck. You're all caricatures. Y- all of you. And yep. he goes, may God pity you. And then <laughs> dies in his skull he says, mask. You're all rich. And then the clock strikes midnight and he dies. And, uh, family's happy. Family's super stoked. They made it like walk over and check his pulse. And they're like, Yahoo! yeah. And then Wilfred takes his mask off and his back is to the camera. Uh-huh. He's like, hooray, you know, finally got rid of him or whatever. And then everyone looks at him kind of horrified. And then they slowly, they all take their masks off and their faces are stuck in like a really like kind of a transitional phase between what the mask looks like yeah. and their normal faces. And they all look pretty good. I was yeah. impressed by the makeup, especially the father. Like, he was the first to take off and has this dumb 
low tuba note mm-hmm. playing as he's doing it. But it looks really good. Like he's got this weird pinched eye look. Yeah, yeah. And then Jason, they do at the very end, they mm-hmm. take Jason's mask off. And fortunately, he's not a skull. He looks <laughs> totally normal. And they're like, ah, oh, he looks peaceful. Very terrifying. But I, I love the tension of this because like they wait a really long time to take off the, the mother's mask. Mm-hmm. She's the last one to take it off. And just that idea of like, oh. She knows her face has changed. Yes. She has no idea what she's going to look like now. Mm-hmm. Just a slow reveal and she looks in the mirror and of course she's a super sad looking monster now. But yeah. Yeah. The sweetest vengeance is the super cute girl. Now it just looks like basically the creature from uh, or the, the monsters from Nightmare 20,000 Feet. Ha! <laughs> 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 yeah, she looks like Uncle Simon. No, no, she <laughs> she looks like uh, I have the I beholder. beholder. Yeah, I have the beholder. Yeah. Kind of weird, distorted lip creatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Serling explains they now wear the faces that was inside them the whole time. Boom. I mean, it's a pretty simple, sweet vengeance episode. It really is about just this old guy hating his family so so much. That he went and got some Mississippi queen <laughs> to go make some masks for him. What I don't understand is yeah. why he didn't just make that part up and like say, okay, you have to do this and you're going to get all the money. Oh, and then he lied about that. He should have just given all the money to his butler. Yeah, you're right. Well, I mean, that's that's how strong vengeance is in the Twilight Zone. Instead of just giving it to a nice guy. Because these people still get the money now. You're right. Yeah. Maybe that should have been the double whammy. Mm-hmm. Is they get the they get to take off the mask, stand on the staircase at the end of the episode, looking real sad, and then they read their will out loud, and it all just goes to the butler. Yeah, and then he takes off in his jetpack, and that's the end of it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this <laughs> simple episode, but I ended up giving it a seven. I give this one an eight. Oh, you I like, like it that this much. one a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? Um, that skull mask was pretty rad. It reminded it me a yeah. lot of the mask in uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Sure, perfect. This yeah. is a movie reference day, apparently. It really is, yeah. No, all the masks look great, and they had, like, super clean audio. They must have, like, dubbed it over later, so it didn't sound all muffled and weird. Yeah. But it's amazing how natural the mask looked after a little bit, because they are just distorted versions of the faces. But it's like, oh, yeah, of course that's what the mom looks mm-hmm. like. And it's, like, totally believable that that's her character now. Yeah. Um, God, they're, they're going to freak some people out when they go back home, see their neighbors again. God. What are they going to do? Do you think they're just going to start cutting on their own faces to I try think and they hang out in that house forever? Oh, and they just become like because yeah, these... they get the house. That was one of the things they get. They get all the money and all in the house. That's true, but the young lady won't be able to enjoy Mardi Gras next year. Or maybe they'll try and like put on pretty people masks constantly, mm. and every stroke of midnight hope that they shift back. Maybe she could pay someone to make a funhouse mirror, mm. a very elaborate one. If she stands in just the right position, ooh. She looks beautiful again. Just like <laughs> tiny distortions look- of her face. So like yeah. the mirror is just like, oh, it looks like a bug's eye or something. For everyone else, it looks just like a like a wadded up piece of saran wrap or something. <laughs> aluminum foil. But- <laughs> would be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a rough life they got ahead of them. I would imagine they'd use the money to try and get some plastic surgery. Yeah. In some way. Yeah. They do the whole eye of the beholder thing and just wrap up their head and mirror, mirror, mirror. <laughs> and then they'd be constantly disappointed by just... It just looks like an ugly face that somebody cut into. Yeah. I would imagine... I have a lot of thoughts on this. I would imagine Wilfred <laughs> Jr. is almost happy with his in a weird way. He's such a sick effort to begin with. Oh, yeah. He's super into it. And now he has like unfettered access to that wheelchair. He could just <laughs> laze around the house with it. <laughs> Pay for people to deliver animals to set them on fire. Yeah, this is a super creep. This isn't a punishment at all. No. You know what is a punishment? What's that? This episode is over an hour long. You're welcome again, everyone. <laughs> Yahoo! You want to close it out? Let's let's close this out. Yeah. So next week we'll talk we'll talk about episodes twenty six through thirty, and then after that it's going to be a sixer, a sixer. Yeah, the old six pack we call it. We're yeah. going to go uh, thirty one. If, if you thought this felt long, <laughs> wait till a couple weeks from now yeah that's gonna be uh that's gonna be it that's gonna be 30 through 36 then franklin's and then it may be super franklin's do we wait a little bit for super franklin's we'll see we're still getting ahead of ourselves we're i mean we have a conversation almost every day about what we're gonna do next and like, we still are you going to lunch today yeah it's a lot of that, that kind, kind of stuff. stuff oh you did mention that you were super excited to talk about one shot what was that do you remember oh i was hoping you didn't recognize sterling holloway's 
immediately recognizable oh, okay. voice. Nah, I never doubt against my Disney knowledge, Cork. Yeah, you're a big Jungle Book fan. <laughs> Huge Jungle today. Book fan. It's so much better than any version of Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. All right. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, join us next week. We'll be talking about episodes. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was just for you, Ben Hansen. <laughs> All right. Well, good, uh, good night. And good we'll talk night. To you people, you never know when people are going to listen to this. All right. Good night, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I like Bella Dwellet. I like Bella Dwellet. Oh my God. This is the frog. <laughs> Easy, easy, toy, toy.